Hello, everybody. It is Thursday in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. My name is Adam Bittner, assistant sports editor for multimedia at the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette, joined once again by Post-Gazette sports columnist Paul Zeiss for our weekly Zeiss is Right video. Paul, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you doing? I'm doing okay. I am, I'm ready to talk about a big week for the Steelers, I think. It, it, it really feels like there's, there's a lot of angst that is going to be resolved one way or the other with this Ravens game. If they lose this game, I think there's going to be some real fury around town. Um, and if they win, you know, maybe that that blunts some of what we've seen in the past week. I, I, but I think there's a lot of interesting conversation here, Paul. We're going to talk about Art Rooney's role in, in where the Steelers are right now. Um, there's been a lot of talk, especially in this channel over the past week, about Mike Tomlin, Matt Canada. But Art Rooney's a key player in this as well. Uh, maybe a little bit of Omar Khan talk as well and where he fits into this mix. Before we do that, just a reminder, this show is brought to you by Pella Windows and Doors of Pittsburgh. There's no better place to get windows installed in your home than Pella, who can help you save on energy costs year-round. Schedule a free in-home consultation with your local Pella Windows and Doors to find the right product for your home and budget. Give them a call at 866-593-1560 to discuss your project further. That's 866-593-1560 to get started planning on your new windows and doors installation with Pella Windows and Doors of Pittsburgh. Paul, I, I really want to get into this conversation about Art Rooney II and, and his role in, in where the Steelers are. I'm going to start this with the offense because we know he was pretty involved in the decision to hold on to Matt Canada. Um, some of it was philosophical and, and the Steelers' belief in, in honoring contracts. Um, some of it was a matter of trying to capture the momentum that they built in the second half last season and seeing if it could translate into this early season. Now that it hasn't, Paul, um, you know where do you where do you assign the level of blame for the owner in who has involved himself in decisions that you know someone of his rank in the organization probably shouldn't always be involved in, uh, but but he has he has made it clear that he's taken ownership of some of these decisions. And if we're going to talk about Mike Tomlin as much as we do, should we also be talking about Art Rooney and the way he's done business? Well, Art Rooney uh, and Mike Tomlin are tied together, aren't they? I mean, at the end of the day, there's only one guy in that organization that could fire Mike Tomlin. And it's not Omar Khan. It's not Andy Weidel. It's not, you know, uh, uh, what, what's the Rooney that is actually, like, rising in the organization? I think it's Dan's son, maybe, or something. Is rising. In, there's only one guy, and that's Art Rooney II, who has the power and authority to hire Mike Tomlin. I mean, fire Mike Tomlin and hire another coach. So – Absolutely. And here's the thing, the buck for all of these decisions, even if Art Rooney isn't involved, the buck stopped with him. There's no question about it. Um, I feel like his brother, Dan, or I guess it's his brother, right, Dan? Or is that his dad? It's his brother. I think it's Dan. Is he young? Dan? Art's, Art's younger brother? Or is he Dan's younger brother, Adam? He's Dan's son. Is, oh, it's his son. Okay, yeah. you're right. So it'd be his father. Art Rooney Jr. is in that. Our Rooney Jr. is Dan's brother. Yes. It's yeah. confusing because there's the second and there's Junior. Right. So the at the end of the day, different people. Right. So at the end of the day, you know, one of the things that people said about Dan Rooney is he really got football. He was a football guy. That basically Art Rooney Sr., the chief, right? The cigar smoking chief, was really clueless when it came to football. And that it then it showed in 40 years of just awful football. It wasn't until he turned it over to Dan 
that the Steelers became the Steelers. And obviously the Dan made some moves like, you know, uh, hiring Bill Nunn and hiring Chuck Noll and things of the such. But to be honest, it, it, one of the criticisms was Art II is he's far more lawyer than he is football guy. And to me, that's not a valid excuse for being asleep at the switch or allowing some things to go on, maybe because you want to, oh, well, I'm going to let my ha- uh, football people handle it. No, 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 no. If your name is on it, which his name is on it, right, you're responsible for everything that goes on. And in my mind, you know, he's probably not stepped in enough when it comes to hiring and firing assistant coaches. He probably hasn't stepped in enough when it comes to certain personnel decisions uh, and certain decisions with certain players. Um, And I think that, to be honest, he should. Not that you want to become Jerry Jones, you know, and, and appoint yourself the general manager. But at the end of the day, it's your product with your name on it. So we're circling all the way back to Mike Tomlin. Um, you know, if I'm Art Rooney II, I'm having some very, very frank discussions with Mike Tomlin about some of his staff, about Matt Canada, about the offense, about the picks that we've invested in the players that aren't playing. There'd be a number of subjects that I'd be willing to sit down that I think Art Rooney II should sit down. Um, but uh, at the end of the day, he doesn't seem to. And so to answer the overall thesis or whatever, the question, absolutely, he deserves as much blame as anybody in that, or actually more blame than anybody in that organization for what's going on, because he is the one who has the power to make changes. Yeah, Paul, I, th- I think part of the uh, part of the question I have, too, is is whether Art Rooney believes that the thing that's made the Steelers great through all these years is our decisions that have been made in the boardroom not to fire coaches. And, and that that has become a thing, you know, from a different time where there were different, you know, factors at play that because, you know, this is his team, his family's asset that he believes that the that part that hit that identity of what the, the decisions they make not to fire coaches is somehow what makes has made the Steelers great and not the people that they've had in the locker room and in, in, in the you know coaching offices. Um, you know, do you think that that's that's part of the issue here too? Is is that you know maybe he hasn't been as involved in it as he should be in part because he thinks that's just the way the Steelers should do business and that's what's made them great instead of you've had good employees and you trusted them to get the job done. And and not that you trusted them, regardless of of results. No, I mean the thing about it is, yeah, they've hired, they've had good employees, they've hired good people, but that doesn't mean that you can't change the way you do business when it's clearly not working. And the other part of it is, you know, I think one of the biggest problems, Adam, that the Steelers have, is that the organization as a whole, from top to bottom, is a little bit stale because they've had the same people forever doing the same things forever. And, you know, it's nice that they moved Omar Khan around, you know, and, and Andy Weidel in, and, you know, they've made some movements like that. But for the most part, I think, you know, the three coaches since uh, 69 is a nice badge of honor, but is it really doing your best to make sure that your organization is at its best? And so to me, if the only thing you can come up with is that, well, Mike Tomlin has done a pretty good job year after year. He's never had a losing season. Um, 
that tells me that you're really not interested in in getting back to the top and being the best as an organization that you can be. Uh, because at the end of the day, organizations that tend to have success have stability, but they also aren't afraid to make really tough decisions or really unpopular decisions and, and make some moves um, that maybe uh, don't on the surface seem like they're really all that fair, but they, that they're what was needed. And I think that's what the, the Steelers lack more than anything else is they're so interested in the Steelers' way and stability that sometimes I think they miss the, uh, the big picture, which is the stability is also holding you back as much as it's allowing you to, to compete, you know? And to me, I'm not interested, Adam, in another year where they bounce around 500, right? And they're, they're slopping together enough wins that are ugly, and they get to the end of the year and they win their last game and they're nine and eight. So it's another non-losing season, even if they're a wild card. If they go on and they lose in the playoff, like if, uh, to me, here, here's what I would ask Steeler fans. Is this good enough for you? Because it seems to be good enough for Art Rooney and company, right? Is it good enough for you if they go nine and eight again, you know, and so they're the seventh seed, okay, and they draw, let's say, Buffalo. And they lose by 20, you know, 24 points, in a, you know, to, to the to the uh, Bills in a playoff game like they did a few years ago with Kansas City. Is that good enough? I don't think it is. And and, and so the so the product of stability is, well, our team every year, we have a chance to get to the playoffs because every year, you know, we are changing things up and we have a formula that, you know, gives us an opportunity to win some games in the regular season. My argument is, you know what the other thing about your formula for stability has done? It's basically put a cap. It's basically put a cap on probably your ceiling. So what, you know, to me, uh, I look at, for instance, the Rams. Would you rather be the Rams who went all in and won a Super Bowl? And, you know, they've had, you know, they had a little bit of a rough year last year or whatever. Uh, okay, Sean McVay can't say I've never had a losing season but he's won a Super Bowl within the last few years. You know what I'm saying? Uh, it's the way it goes. Same thing with the Eagles. The Eagles have had 15 coaches, it seems like, in the last 10 years, right? And guess what? They've been to a Super Bowl. They won a Super Bowl. They've been to another Super Bowl. Yeah, they've had a couple of ugly years, but they give themselves a chance when they're willing to make tough and, and hard decisions and, and, and to say, you know what? We're not going to settle for just this is sort of where we are and this is where we've always been. Yeah, I think you're using the word stability, Paul. I think there's a, a parochial vibe coming off of this team when you really put it all together. I think any of these one decisions you can justify in a vacuum, but when you start to look at all of the decisions together, it starts to feel like this team, there's like some patronage going on here. Like you've had the same coach for almost 20 years. I got my list here. I'm going to read it off. The offensive coordinator is a pit guy. The quarterback is a pit guy. There have been like eight sets of brothers on this team. Mike Tomlin's been able to pick like how many kids from Maryland where his son played. They invested a premium draft pick in the son of a former assistant coach who, you know, and Joey Porter, who was also on the team for a long time and is very close to Mike Tomlin. Um, you know, take those all together, Paul, and it doesn't doesn't it make you question, are these the best coaches and the best player, best 53-man roster you can put together? Or is there emotion and and you know? Uh, provincialism getting involved in some of these decisions and clouding what should be emotionless decisions like you were leading into before. The general manager has been, it was a long, long time 
assistant general manager, right? The right. assistant general manager grew up in Mount Lebanon and was a scout for the Steelers. And, you know, his family has all kinds of ties to the, I guess, to the Roonies, right? And, and, and whatnot. Um, you have, uh, there, there were a couple of others that you were actually, oh, Terrell Austin is a pit guy. Who's That's true Terrell, too. Right. I mean, you know, we could go on and on and on and on. And I'm not saying that there's always something wrong with that, but as I always used to say, Right. And, and I'm going to take this down a little bit to the pit because it's the same thing, Adam, because I when I covered pit for like almost 20 years, I covered pit. I would almost annually have these kinds of arguments with pit fans. Right. Who would always insist when there was an opening that they had to hire a pit guy. Got to have a pit guy. Right. Got to have a pit guy that understands us. And I would always say this. Of all of the coaches of men's basketball and football uh, over the last 25 years, who is by far the most successful coach they ever hired? Ben Howland, who they hired from Northern California or wherever the hell he was, Northern Arizona, right? And it was a kid from California. And, you know, four years later when he left, obviously they promoted it Jamie Dixon, so you could say that was provincial. But Dixon came with Howland. Dixon played at TCU. Dixon was a West Coast guy for his entire life, right? He just, he was at Pitt, but he wasn't hired because of his ties to Pitt or whatever. He was hired because he basically impressed the athletic director. Hey, this guy, you know, this guy uh, really knows what he's doing. My point is, you know, you don't have to always have provincialism when you hire people. And it doesn't always have to be a factor. And it shouldn't always be a factor. I've always said provincialism should be a, well, you can check that box if there's, you know, 30 things that are the same with these two you know, candidates, right? And one checks that box and the other doesn't. Okay, maybe you just say that's the tiebreaker. But it shouldn't be the first item on your resume. It never should have been. <laughs> never should be the first item on your resume is that, hey, I played here. Or I'm from here or whatever, you know? Um, Great example in college football right now. Does Deion Sanders have any ties to the Colorado or University of Colorado, right? I mean, they were all talking about, oh, well, we should hire, you know, a, a couple of McCartney assistants or a couple of, you know what I'm saying? Guys that had Colorado ties. They went completely out of the box, and it's working out for them. There's a, it, when you do that, you limit your, 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 your pool of, of uh, you limit your pool of, people that you can actually go and hire, you know? And like I said, I think, you know, Andy Weidel is very smart. He's bright. I'm glad he went out and worked for some other, other, other organizations. He seems like he's a really good hire, right? But he's a provincial hire in many ways. Cause I think, you know, his family had some ties with Tom Donahoe or whatever, but you know, he's a Mount Lebanon kid, you know, Omar Khan was an assistant for 20 some years uh, or whatever. Who else did they, who else did they interview? Uh, uh, Doug Whaley, who was once a Steelers GM or scout or assistant GM who went to Pitt, right? And Lewis Riddick, who went to Pitt. You know what I'm saying? And and, and, somebody, and, and my point is, uh, we could do that all day. But that is all a part of the problem, Adam, is that mentality the Steelers have. It's their best friend in some ways because, yeah, every single year you have stability and it seems like every single year you're able to slop your way to eight and, and eight or nine wins, and you never go to the three and 13. 
But I think the Eagles had a three and thirteen, didn't they? Like a couple of years ago, I think they had a three and thirteen, right? They yeah, they were the who, They fired the coach who won a Super Bowl, right? Because he had bottomed out, and they hired this other guy, and they were in the Super Bowl last year. And you know, basically, they'd have won the thing if it wasn't for a superhuman effort by uh, Patrick Mahomes. My point is, uh, I don't believe that just because you do it the same way every single year forever, that that necessarily means that you're going to have success at a high level. It means you might have um, what the Steelers have considered success, which to me ain't good enough. Yeah, and just to be clear, I'm not trying to bag on Pitt as you know a place to produce a lot of great football players, a lot of great football coaches. And, you know, I'm not saying any one decision is wrong. I'm not saying the decision to pick Kenny Pickett's wrong. I'm not saying the decision, um, you, you know, to hire and fire different people is wrong. I'm just saying if you add them up and you list off all of the ties and, and you st- let's look at this as one thing instead of a bunch of separate different decisions, you see a very parochial vibe. And, and I just think that that can only land at Art Rooney's feet. And it, it very much speaks to how it seems like he wants to run the place which is, you know, very much rooted in Pittsburgh and maybe doesn't look at the rest of the NFL and all of the things that are happening, all the people who are having success and all of the opportunities you might have to go out and get people. And so I, you know, I put blame for, for where the situation is just on that. And, and just that, to your point, you might, you have, there's reason for fans to believe you've limited your pool of people that, that you are going right. after or are interested in or give yourself the chance to bring in to, to freshen things up. And, and that's, you know, we can blame Mike Tomlin for X, Y, or Z, but I think that that mentality starts at the top. The funniest thing about it, though, is, you know, the one guy they went out of the box and way against all of the, uh, just the, the, the provincialism to hire? It was Mike Tomlin. Mike Tomlin. If you remember, the other, the other candidates were what? Russ Grimm, right? And, and, and Ken Wisenhut. Uh, you know, Russ Grimm from South Moreland, who's a, I think he's a pit guy, isn't he? I think he's a pit guy too, isn't yeah. he? Uh, and he's from South Moreland, had uh, some ties to the Steelers and was working with the Steelers. I mean, you know, it's funny, but the guy that worked out really well, at least initially for the first five or six years, is a the guy they went out and had zero. Nobody had ever even heard of the guy. Like, uh, I always tell people this all the time when they tell me, oh, well, if you fire Mike Tomlin, you tell me one coach that's better. Who's going to come in? You're not going to get Bill Belichick to come in. And this is what I always say. You know, the greatest argument for firing Mike Tomlin is Mike Tomlin. Because at the end of the day, when Bill Cowher retired, Adam, and I don't care if you're the greatest Steeler diehard on the planet. If I said, write down a list of 50 names right now that you would like to see the Steelers hire to be head coach, Mike Tomlin if you gave a thousand fans that list, I don't know that Mike Tomlin's name would have showed up on a single list, right? Maybe because if you get to fifty, you start, you know, scraping, but not one of them would have that game would have had Tomlin in his top twenty, right? Never even heard of the guy. So my point is, my answer is, yeah, you're right. You're not going to get Andy Reid or you know Pete Carroll or Bill Belichick, but guess what? You might be able to get the next Mike Tomlin, right? the hotshot young assistant that nobody really even knows that much about if you go out and do your research and you're willing to be open-minded about it. So uh, it's why that whole thing, you, you know, you can't fire Mike Tomlin because, you know, who are you going to get to hire him that's better? It's BS to me. 
because to me, the answer is always, how about a young Mike Tomlin? Yeah, yeah, I think that's all that's all fair. And I, I think it's bigger than Tomlin too, just to just to that point of, you know, the, you could fire Mike Tomlin, but if you don't change that mentality of, well, you know, we, we gotta get all these guys who have ties to this organization and ties to the city in here, then then it doesn't matter whether it's Mike Tomlin or anyone else. I don't think that that's a recipe for success. Um, Paul, I, I think we've beaten beaten that topic to death, though. I want to get a couple more Steelers topics out of the way before we get into some pit and Pirates talk. Um, uh, you, you Before we got on here, you said you wanted to talk a little bit about Omar Khan's role in changing the Steelers' way. Um, you know, what, what do you think his – how he fits into that that conversation that we were just having in terms of trying to leave some of the practices in the past, maybe broadening out the, the Steelers' um, – you know, uh, prospects a little bit, but also, you know, keeping some of the identity of the organization intact. Well, I think it's pretty clear he was a lot more aggressive this offseason than they had been in the past. Made some trades, went out and got free agents. You know, I thought they were aggressive in the draft. Um, and it feels to me like he wants to modernize the Steelers. It feels to me like if you listen to what he has to say and things of the such, um, I think he wants to bring some of the uh, uh, you know, newer ideas in the NFL into the Steelers organization. But again, to me, the big test will be if they go nine and eight or eight, and nine, God forbid, and don't win a playoff game. Does he have the stones and the foresight to walk down the hallway and make the case to Art Rooney that it's time to move on from Mike Tomlin? Cause that would actually be, a huge step away from the Steeler way of doing things, right? Now, one of the things that's a little bit overrated, well, they never fire coaches. No, they never fire coaches, but they told Chuck Noll it was time to retire. No, they never fire coaches, but they did not. They, they would not give in to all of Bill Cowher's uh, contract demands and some of the things that he was asking for, which is why he stepped out. So, yeah, they didn't fire either of those guys, but I don't know that they made it either, uh, you know, uh, real easy for either one of them to stay around either. And that should be said. So I, I'm just saying, like, to me, I think Omar Khan is trying to bring the Steelers into the 21st century of, and, and the way of doing things. But the test is still going to be, uh, will you be the guy who's not afraid to fire a coach if they go now seven years without a playoff win? Seven years without a playoff win, other than the Bengals, you probably cannot find a team that kept the guy intact seven years that did not at least win one playoff game. Paul, a couple quick hit topics on the Steelers here. Um, Matt Canada on Sunday or, or leading up to last Sunday apparently told the C CBS broadcast crew that the Steelers offense is not built to play from behind. And that has fired up a lot of people around town. I wanted to get your <laughs> reaction here on the show. Um, I don't know how you build an offense that, that can't come from behind, especially in today's NFL um, certainly not one that that is going to win at a, at a big level. I mean, again, it goes back to this nine and eight mentality of, you know, can you can you win some games by playing that way? And you and I have talked about this on you know our our Sunday show and on this show. Of, yeah, maybe you can beat the Raiders playing that way. You get a lead, you don't give it up. Um, but but can you be a really good team if you can't play from behind? No. No, you can't. That's that. Listen. That's my contention always about the Ravens and why they don't, they'll never win the Super Bowl with Lamar Jackson because they're not a team that can play from behind either. 
that's the biggest problem when you have a team that has to have everything go right. When things don't go right for you, then what? Then what happens? And and we've seen it. You know what? Even even as great as Ben Roethlisberger was in terms of all his you know, fourth quarter comebacks, if you look at his last few years, most of his fourth quarter comebacks where they were down three, you know, in a sloppy, ugly game. That's not coming from behind or they're down six, you know, or whatever. That's not coming from behind. You know, coming from behind is we are down, you know, 17 with three minutes left in the third quarter. And now we can come from behind because we've got a, a quick strike offense. We've got one that can make big plays. That's not this offense, but, but, but Adam, is that the offense or is that the personnel? That's the question. I think we, you know, I, I, I understand why Matt Canada and to me, he's got to go. I understand why people are down on him. I understand why this quote wasn't exactly uh, something that endeared himself to Steeler fans, but at the end of the day, a part of the Steelers' problems on offense, a part of it, is that their personnel is not good enough. And we've said this. I've said this. I took a lot of heat for saying this about their receivers, right? They just don't scare you. They don't. George Pickens can scare you a little bit here and there, but for the most part, their receivers don't scare you. Their running backs don't scare you. And right now, their quarterback doesn't scare you. So to me – Yes, they're not built to come. I would agree with them. You're not built to come from behind. But it's not just because your system sucks, because it does suck. But it's also because the players that you have trying to run that system aren't quite good enough. And until we add that into the discussion, we could bring in Bill Walsh in his prime here. And I don't think it would change a whole lot about this offense. Because you need players, right? You need guys that make plays. You need playmakers. I just don't think the Steelers have enough of them. Yeah, and, and I think you know part of the problem is that is is the scheme is the offense getting getting the absolute most out of the players. I I'd, I'd agree probably not, but how much is there to get out of those players, and how much of it has been hype? You know, how much of it we've been talking ourselves into Calvin Austin just because he's fast? What was going to be Jerry Rice all of a sudden? You know, there's there's definitely an echo chamber in Pittsburgh that I think you know changes perceptions of players once they show up here, and you have six months of an off season to talk yourself into a guy and, and you do. And then when he's not, when every player doesn't look like an all, you know, a pro bowler out there, people get disappointed. And and I think that's, you know, that's part of the issue too, is, is I think some of those guys have been thought to be better than, than they are. So then, so then people are disappointed when they don't perform that well, but you know what I mean? It's, it's a right. vicious cycle. So um, Paul, I know you wanted to talk a little bit about the defense too, kind of through the same lens of, you know, how many players does the offense really have? But, you know, they've invested a lot in this defense and, you know, a couple of weeks now against San Francisco, against Houston, um, they haven't really performed like the, you know, elite defense that they're supposed to be. Um, you know, I know you and I talked on, on Sunday after the game, you know, you're going to have to win games in the 30s sometimes. Sometimes even the best defenses are going to be had like that. But this is twice in four games. If you keep that rate going through the whole season, that's not what the Steelers are paying 100 plus million in payroll for. <laughs> no, and you know what? They're not very good at stopping the run. Um, and in some ways, their their performance against Cleveland was masked a little bit because uh, Cleveland had some you know issues with their tackles. Number one, and, tar- and turned the ball over a zillion times. Uh, but you know, even Cleveland's offense moved the ball against the Steelers. You know, they 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 they, they ran the ball reasonably well, even with even after you know Chubb got hurt. Um, Everybody is focused on how bad the offense is, 
but it was the defense that was supposed to be elite. The defense is good, but it's not elite. And I know that Cam Hayward's hurt, but I got to be honest with you. I don't know that that's really, you know, what's holding this defense back. Um, I got to question some of the personnel moves they've made. And, you know, we've talked about this a bunch of times with Joey Porter. Uh, you know, he can't be worse than Levi Brown and, and, and Patrick Peterson. He can't. It's impossible. He can't be worse than those two guys. And he's a guy, a guy, he's a guy with upside. So give him a shot. Give him the opportunity. Give him a shot. I mean, I, 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 that's one right there. Um, the inside linebackers seem like they've been fine, but I don't know they've been different difference makers. You know what, Watt and Highsmith, I guess they decided to take last week off because they did nothing. And if those two do nothing, this defense is very pedestrian, as we found out. So there's some issues on that side of the ball, too. Um, you know, I think uh, Mike Tomlin, is that's his baby. Uh, but we, again, we go back to, and it's, a, it's funny, if you listen to the national guys talk, Adam, the national guys all want to give Mike Tomlin a pass, right? They're all attacking Matt Canada. They're not talking about the defense, which is run by Mike Tomlin, or the fact that Mike Tomlin is now uh, uh, you know, facing the real possibility of going a seventh season without having a playoff win. Um, and, but, but it's funny. They don't want to talk about the defense because the defense is Tomlin's baby. But the defense has been as bad as the offense has been in most of these games. I want to, and I want to apologize. We've got some landscapers outside. It's a little loud if you guys can hear it on the uh, on the microphone. But um, Paul, is, is the Joey Porter thing I think is really interesting because I feel like every time I sit down and watch a primetime game now, someone that we were talking about as an option for the Steelers in the NFL draft is making an impact play. Christian Gonzalez for the for the Patriots. I've seen Brian Branch. I, I swear, like every other play when I watch the Lions. Um, the other night it was Devin Witherspoon returning uh, an interception for a touchdown in that Monday night game. Um, you know, is, is Joey Porter possibly just not that good or, or is this a, is this a philosophical thing? It's the more you see these guys that he was considered in league with going into this draft succeed. I think the more questions need to be asked about why he's not in there unless you've just missed on the evaluation. I just think it's a philosophical thing. Mike Tomlin feels better with veterans in there. It's just how he has always been. But to me, again, to get out of that whole Steeler way thing, the, the difference between all those guys that you're talking about, Porter and Porter, is that those guys are on the field. You can't make plays if you're not on the field. And to me, you're a young guy with a lot of potential that was drafted essentially as a first rounder, even though you're technically a second rounder, right? Why are you not on the field? It's one thing if Patrick Peterson was playing like Patrick Peterson of old. It's one thing if Levi Wallace was playing, you know, uh, at, a, at a reasonably high level. They're not. So do you want to keep putting them out there because they're veterans and, well, they're the lesser of two evils? Or do you want to roll the dice and put a rookie out there a couple of weeks and just see what happens? You know, if, if he doesn't work out, you can always go back to one of the veterans. But the only way he gets better, the only way he proves that he belongs is if he gets an opportunity to play. So it's mind-boggling to me how he's not on the field. Broderick Jones, to me, again, you know, uh, is, is the same situation. But at least in his case, you can say Dan Moore has been okay. Uh, you know, not great, but okay. But but, but Levi Wallace and, and, and Patrick Peterson have not been good. I, I, there's no reason why Joey Porter shouldn't be playing. 
I, I'm not with you on the Dan War has been okay either, Paul. I think he should, you know, after the first couple of weeks, that should have been it for him. Um, and now it looks like it might be through injury, but you know, I wonder. And I'll add this, Adam. I'll add this: if Roderick Jones is just average, he should be the guy for the rest of the year. Oh, absolutely, I agree. I think you, you know, he should have been the guy after those first couple of weeks. And I'm curious. I, I now in hindsight, I'm going to be curious to see how far they would have stuck with Dan Moore before going to to Broderick Jones. Because I think that would increasingly have become a flashpoint. Well, we're going to get a couple quick Pirates and Pit topics here on the other side of this break. Um, just want to thank a couple more sponsors, Goldberg, Persky, and White. If you were diagnosed with mesothelioma or lung cancer, call your local attorneys at Goldberg, Persky, and White. For over 40 years, their firm has represented thousands of lung cancer and mesothelioma victims. Call 1-800-COMPLEX or visit gpwlaw.com for a free consultation. Also, thank you to Propel Schools. Propel's 13 public charter schools in Allegheny County build a solid academic foundation for lifelong learning and offer more personalized instruction at every level during your child's kindergarten through 12th grade education journey. Give your children the quality education they deserve. Learn more and apply at Propel Schools by visiting propelschools.org. Um, Paul, I want to get into the Pirates here for a second. Um, Jason Mackey has, has started to do his post-mortem articles on postgazette.com kind of started to map out the off season um, now that they have wrapped up the, the 2023 campaign. You and I talked about, you know, what we should take from it last week. I want to just get a first reaction to you on some of the moves. He thinks Carlos Santana, the the guy who they signed last off season, who was a member of a pretty bad Pirates team up until he was traded, um, is the answer at first base moving forward as well. Um, what, what do you think of Carlos Santana and, and what are some of the moves you want to see from this team uh, beyond first base before now or between now and spring training? So we're going to bring Carlos Santana back. If the team is four or five games out of first or worse at the trade deadline, we're going to trade him again. Is that the plan? I, I mean, come on. <laughs> what are we talking about here? I think Carlos Santana did what he had to do and survived. You know, he, he served his, his his role well, but they should be looking for an actual first base option that's going to be here for the next few years, because that's the one position where they just don't have an answer. You know, and they don't have somebody really. Uh, you know, I've heard about this kid in AAA and all this stuff. They legitimately probably don't have the answer in house, so they need a first baseman. Period. And they need to go out and make it somebody that's not a journeyman like Carlos Santana, who is going to be one year older next year, by the way, um, even though he's a good defensive player or whatever. And now, so uh, first base, obviously. They need another outfielder, Adam. I'm really convinced of that. And they need a, they need at least one legitimate starting pitching option. Um, bullpen guys you can find. I, I don't worry that much about the bullpen. But they need at least one more legitimate starting pitching option. But again, all of it hinges on is Rosie Contreras, does uh, Ortiz, does, uh, and I think they just actually DFA'd him, but Ortiz or Oviedo or, you know, uh, Priester, all these guys, three of them have to pan out. You got Mitch Keller. You hope three of those, you know, that whole jumbled talk, you know, we talk about all those guys, the whole, they all, but you need at least one more option. So you have Keller, that guy, and then, you know, hopefully Paul Skeens picks into the mix. Uh, and then you can, you know, the fourth and fifth starter you can fill in. But to me, those are the things that they need the most. A pitcher, an outfielder, and a first baseman. The other thing is they need to figure out what they're going to do with Henry Davis. I mean, 
if the guy can't play a position, I would legitimately, I would trade him this off season. While he still has some value, I would trade him. Even though he's your first pick, we see teams that win. They're not afraid to admit mistakes, right? They're not afraid to admit mistakes. To me, if they're going to try and bang their head against the wall for the next two and a half, three years, trying to figure out what position this guy plays, they should trade him now while he still has some value, right? Move on from him or figure out who he's going to be and what he's going to be. Um, those are the major ones. You know, they've got to figure out second base, but they've got five, six good options there. Uh, you hope that uh, Cruz gets healthy at short, and, and obviously Cabrian Hayes continues what he did, although I saw that they fired the coach that he gives the credit for his turnaround at the plate. They fired that guy for helping him out, I guess. I guess he wor- it worked out too well. I don't even know what that's all about. Yeah, I don't know, Paul. I just know that there's I, – I, it doesn't really matter to me who they sign this offseason. I don't think that that's going to make or break next year's team. It's going to be can you have some of these young guys have an OPS in the sevens? Can you have right. some of your homegrown pitchers have an ERA in the threes? To me, that's the, the baseline of – you did a good job with drafting and development over the last five years when you've been lecturing Pirates fans about why they should be happy to watch their team lose, spend no money, be terrible. It's because you've told everyone you're great at drafting and development. And we are at the end of year four. And if you look up and down that lineup, if you look on, you know, that the Pirates stats on ESPN and, and you strip away, you know, this guy had a hot week, this guy had a hot week. And, and just look at the numbers, Paul, there's, there's very few guys who are homegrown guys who came from AAA who have OPSs at seven or higher, 700 or higher, and ERAs in the threes. And and I think that's a reasonable baseline expectation when you're talking about impact. And and that's what that's what you want from the drafting yeah. and development. Yeah. I don't think it matters who they sign in the offseason if that doesn't turn around and, and doesn't turn around in a big way. They don't have to hit on every guy, but they got to have more than like Jared Triolo with a with a 790 OPS to, to hang their hat on for the development you've put in for all these years or or, or they're stuck and we're heading toward I've, I've said this a million times I'll keep saying it I feel like last year was 2003 I think that the 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 ceiling for this franchise is rather low until I'm proven otherwise and I really wasn't proven otherwise this year which is why I remain pretty suspect about this team um Paul I want to get into Pitt as well uh Signetti, the offensive coordinator, has been in the crosshairs of Pitt fans this week. People are tweeting out how long his resume was um, and and questioning whether he, you know, belongs at Pitt in the in the future. Um, what is your evaluation of of where things need to go now that you've you've lost to a Virginia Tech team that I think you and I both said last week was if you lose to this team, they're done. Stick a fork in them. There's there's not a whole lot left. They could still. Who knows, Paul? They could pull a thirteen to nine. They could pull an upset in Miami. You know, they could they could win one of those big games and maybe surprise someone. But in, in the chances of them having a season that anyone feels good about, I think are pretty much over. Well, they already have four losses, right? Yes. And they still play Notre Dame. They still play Florida State. That likely gets you to six, which means you have to basically hit the inside straight. And win Wake Forest, Louisville, Boston College, Duke, um, and there's one other game I'm missing. You have to win every one of those other games just to get to six and six. That doesn't seem like it's realistic. I mean, this looks like uh, the ceiling for this team is five and seven. Um, 
I will say this. I think Frank is a good football coach. I think he's a pretty good offensive coordinator at times. I think he's had a horrific year. I don't think he's done a very good job with his offense at all. I don't think he's done a very good job of uh, being realistic when it comes to his, his quarterback. Um, to me, I probably would have made a move at quarterback or at least opened it up a lot, a lot sooner than they have. Um, the fact that if you watch the quarterback play, I, I don't know. And he's, and he's Frank's handpicked guy. I mean, he's got it. Frank actually helped develop at Boston College, by the way. I don't know that he's been good enough either. I mean, that seems fair to me. So I would tell you, I look at the whole big picture. And I think that basically, if it doesn't get better, um, Pat Narduzzi has been willing to fire guys in the past or move on from guys. Uh, if it doesn't get better, I honestly think you have to move on from Frank Stignetti. Um, because to me, um, now this is two years in a row where you've had a, a transfer quarterback come in who's pretty good, uh, at least allegedly, and you can't figure out how to use him. And you look at what Keaton Slovis is doing at BYU and say, well, why is he working there but didn't work here? That's, you know, a good question. So, again, I think Frank's a really good football coach. He's a good, he's a good man, uh, but he's had a really bad year. Yeah, if you can let, you know, and that's what happened. They let Mark Whipple walk after winning an ACC title with him after leading one of the best offenses in Pitt history. If you can do that, I think you can move on from this coordinator after two years as well. Um, Paul, I'll get you out of here on this. There's been some rumblings about Pat Narduzzi in the Michigan State job. Um, he's been mentioned by some people nationally. I don't know if that's a hire that would fire up Michigan State fans. I've, I've seen some talk about Urban Meyer. So if that's the league that their donors want to play in, you know, I don't know that they'd be satisfied with Pat Narduzzi, but let's just put the question of, of whether it's likely aside for a second. And do you think Pat Narduzzi has made this a more attractive job, brought stability to Pitt to a level that maybe you can bring in someone um, where maybe you look back and say, maybe it wasn't a terrible thing that we lost our coach to Michigan State. It's not quite the same thing as losing Todd Graham the way you did, losing Paul Chris the way you did. Um, that, that Pitt is no longer like purely just a stepping stone job in the eyes of a lot of people and that, that you can have success here and, and stay here for 10 years in your career. Um, and, and do you think there's a chance for a productive outcome, even if Pitt does lose Pat Narduzzi? The biggest difference between Pat Narduzzi and the Pitt job now and before he got there was the Pitt job was a Big East job. And before that, it was an independent job. And they didn't have money. They couldn't hire coaches because they couldn't pay coaches. Colorado proved, doesn't matter what your pedigree is, if you're willing to pay money, you can hire coaches. And so now, you know, it's why I always say Heather Likes' job as the AD is very mild. When you, you ever want to, like, if it's a rainy day and you want to have a topic one day, there's a topic I could go on about, is that Heather Like is one of the most overrated athletic directors that's ever hit the market. You know, and, and and I could go on and on. I like her. She's done a good job. But all of the way over the top praise for her is, is silly. Um, and I could point out a million reasons why. And one of them is because she's the first athletic director that had money. You know, it's not Big Ten money, obviously. But guess what? When the pit, when the pit was in the Big East, their TV contract and everything else and the bull money and, all you know, the money that you get from the conference, I mean, right now, I think the, the Big Ten writes, what, about a $60 million check to each of its schools at the end of the year, right? Yeah, something like that. Something like $60 million. 
The ACC writes a check for about $40 million. And guess what? The Big East, when Pitt was in the Big East, they would get between $2.8 and $3.5 million a year. That's what they got to spend. That's why they couldn't hire certain coaches. That's why, for instance, when Dave Wanstead wanted the job, they made him keep Paul Rhodes because Paul Rhodes had a contract that, you know, was a two-year deal. They didn't want to buy him out because, well, we can't, you know, we can't let you hire Matt Canada from the NFL and buy him out. Stuff like that is no longer on the table for Pitt. That's why it's an attractive job. Then go hire somebody now because they can and they're willing to pay, just like Jeff Capel, right? Jeff Capel had other offers to go places. Uh, and you know what? He, he got he got premium dollar, which 15 years ago, one of the reasons that they went with Jamie is because he was a lot cheaper than some of the other coaches they were talking to. That's a fact, right? That's a fact. And one of the reasons why Jamie every single year did this dance where, you know, he let his name be floated out there for every other job is because that's how he was able to get raises. And that's what he had to do to get raises. That's not on the table anymore. So to me, if Pitt, if, if Pat Narduzzi were to leave, which I don't think he will, and the other part of it is, you know, I've heard Mark Antonio is the guy that is really pushing Narduzzi, the whole Narduzzi thing at, at Michigan State. And his argument is one of, listen, we've just gone through this whole ugly scandal. We've had a lot of issues at Michigan State the last, you know what I mean? The one thing Narduzzi will do, he'll come in and run a clean program, do things the right way, and, you know, provide stability that we need to get back on our feet. So I, I get the argument, but my point is I don't know if that's going to excite donors. Uh, but either way, if he were to leave, Pitt could actually go hire a coach because now Pitt has the money to hire a coach. And that's such an important piece of the, of the puzzle. Uh, important but simple. And sometimes people want to make it more complicated, but – um, but I think true words have never been spoken, Paul. Um, listen, we're at 52 minutes here. I, we were interrupted for a decent chunk of time by the uh, emergency broadcast warning, but uh, still been a, a long talk and nice chat, Paul. I think we broached some some topics that needed to be talked about today. So thanks for stopping by, and um, I'm looking forward to talking to you after Steelers Ravens on Sunday. All right, we'll talk to you then, buddy. And, yes, stay tuned, everyone, for later in the week. More Steelers talk with Christopher Carter on the North Shore Drive. Please like this video if you enjoyed it. Please subscribe um, to make sure you don't miss any of our videos, and we'll talk to you again next week. Thank you for checking out this content from Post-Gazette Sports. If you enjoyed the video, please like it and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Check out our Apple Podcast channel for more podcast content. Click below for a special deal of $0.99 cents for a three-month subscription to the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette.